Hey, what's up? Just got my flu and COVID shots. You get yours yet? Nah, I don't have insurance. Dude, lots of places have the shots for free. Really? But are they even safe? Yeah, and vaccines help prevent serious illness. I'm not missing out on this season, especially with Nate's party coming up. Okay, okay, I'll get mine too. Shots hurt a little, but missing out hurts a lot. Get your flu and COVID vaccines. Brought to you by Iowa HHS. In the week that saw a dog called Gino DeCampo compete in Crofts, Russell Brand reveal his biscuity birth scene on Bake Off, and James Jordan crowned this year's Dancing on Ice champion, this is Series Linked. I'm Emma Bullimore from the TV Times, and this is Mark Jeffries from The Mirror. Hi, Jeffers. Hey, how's it going? Good, thank you. Well, on this week's episode of the podcast dedicated to everything on the box that's both on and in demand... We speak to former Corrie star Catherine Kelly about starring in new ITV thriller, Cheat. We talk upcoming Netflix shows in the shape of Turn Up Charlie and the return of Queer Eye. Plus, comedian and presenter Matt Richardson shares his box set to watch before you die. You're listening to Series Linked, the podcast for TV fans by TV fans. Hi Jeffers, how are you doing? How was the weekend? Yeah, really good. How are you? Good? Yeah, good, thank you. Yeah, still loads of telly to be covering. It's a busy time, which is good news. Obviously, Red Nose Day on Friday. Now, are you excited for this or is it something you just sort of have to tolerate as a, as a journalist? No, I think there's a few there's a few good things to look at this this year. Um, we've got the Kilimanjaro documentary. I think that's Wednesday, so that's before, before the actual day itself. We've, we had Dan in here um, and if Shirley Ballas, Summer Little Mix all of them going up the mountain. I think that'll be quite interesting because I know that they found it particularly tough this time. I think Dan, despite all his training, was, was quite sick up there. So not that I want to look at, watch him sort of be ill, but it'd be good to see how tough that was. And then the actual day on Friday, I think there's a university challenge special with likes of Jason Manford involved. And of course, we've got that four wedding sequel. I think that's going to be quite interesting as well. So I think there's plenty uh, there to watch. I think they're under quite a lot of pressure. They've spoken quite publicly about needing to up their game a bit in terms of content because, you you know, it's definitely a fantastic cause, but sometimes the actual sketches and stuff are better than others. But I think they've really tried this year. There's also another Mamma Mia sketch, I think, all sorts of little things planned. So I think it could be a good one. I think they almost need to raise their game every time they do it because some people look at it and they're a bit like, oh, another year of Red Nose Day, another comment relief and they sort of are predicting that it's going to be predictable and have the same people hosting and the same sort of comedy so you need something like a full wedding sequel something like that that maybe people are going to stay in for the night if they're going to stay in for the night maybe then they're going to give their sort of five ten twenty pounds we've also got something else that's just started another end of the spectrum really that you're really interested in that's Deutschland 86 I've never seen this sell it to me what what is it all about yeah not enough people are watching this this is brilliant and yes I have a vested interest in that I speak German I used to live in Germany blah 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 but it's not about that it's in, in the same way that you can watch Scandi dramas and the killing and the bridge and you don't have to know anything about the country so this started with Deutschland 83 on Walter Presents and it's also got a more four slot as well uh, and then this is the second series is 86 and I think the third series is going to be 89 it's all set against the backdrop of the Berlin Wall, East Germany versus West Germany. 
and it's about recruiting spies and all sorts all sorts of drama around spies and Cold War. This series is set in Cape Town, all very exciting. I had no idea about the relationship between East Germany and South Africa and that's all kind of explained. So it's politically interesting, but it's also pacey and has really good actors. And I think it's, yeah, people are sort of slightly, still slightly put off by subtitles because I think somehow they see Scandi stuff as accessible because they know some Scandi dramas, but I'm mm, not sure. But everyone I know that has watched it really, really likes it. So I would definitely recommend checking it out. And should we go back and watch the first series or could you dive straight into 86? You could, but I would say start with 83, get much more out of it. It's great. Okay. Right, so let's get stuck into some shows that we've both seen. And we've seen some previews of a couple of Netflix shows that we want to talk about this week. Let's start with Idris Elba. He's got a new sitcom out, Turn Up Charlie. I was kind of a bit apprehensive about this, having seen in the long run, which was his last comedy that he did for Sky. Idris, obviously awesome in Luther, sexy, brilliant, smouldering, fantastic. Comedy so far, I think, hasn't really been his strong point. Talk to us about Turn Up Charlie Jeffers. What's it about and what do you think? Yeah, so he's playing this DJ down in his luck. He's living in a small house, struggling to make ends meet. And then all of a sudden, one of his best friends from school comes back from Hollywood where he's made a big name for himself. He's got lots of money. And Charlie ends up basically being a nanny to his friend's daughter. And uh, that is where sort of you get the comedy from. And that is uh, from the daughter, Gabby. She's quite a precocious young girl. So it's sort of... Gabby and Charlie, that the two main sort of stars of the show. It was very gentle, I thought. I don't know what you thought about it. I thought it could easily be a seven or eight o'clock comedy on on ITV. Or something. I know ITV have said they're not doing comedy, but I watched this and I sort of thought, this is the kind of thing that something like ITV should, should be doing. I thought it was fine, which is not really what you want to be saying about no, a TV no. programme. The first five minutes I found really annoying, but then as the plot sort of started to develop, I warmed to it a bit more. And I want to like things with Idris Elba in it because I think he's so brilliant on so many levels. I just thought it was all right. And I do think it's quite cool that he's playing someone who's a bit of a loser when it's Idris who's, you know, on top of the world and all that kind of thing. I think that's quite nice. But uh, I don't know. I think you've got to invest in this relationship between him and the little girl. And it's whether you really want to do that or not. She was a bit precocious, but actually... She, there's something there you can like her as well you can see that she's only a product of her environment and that you know she's had a tough tough time trying to get attention from her parents so you can see why there's some likability there it's whether that relationship is going to grow into something that you want to keep following week on week I reckon and I wondered exactly who the target audience was for this could a family watch it I mean there's a lot of nightclub drug references or or is it meant for the family or is it meant for, for sort of older people I thought it was quite gentle I thought it was quite nicely shot as well that there was a lot of uh, nice bits of London. It showed off London in a nice way. Um, I did stick with it. I think, I think I've watched three episodes now. They're only 24 minutes. I think we've said this about a few Netflix shows, but it's probably the sort of thing that you could watch on a commute. There's not a lot of investment needed in the storyline. It's fairly easy to follow. It's sort of gentle. It's, it's quite nice, but it's, it's not spectacularly good. I didn't really have much to fault with it. It's not amazing either. Perhaps just something to to watch one of them and see what you think and go from there. Slightly unfortunate it's come out around the same time as Fleabag and Afterlife and all these things that everyone is tripping over themselves to say how brilliant they are. And then if you come and watch this afterwards, it's a bit... Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. By comparison, there's not many layers to this or or that kind of thing. It almost felt like a sort of old-fashioned comedy in a way that something I could have been watching in maybe almost like the 80s or 90s. And I don't mean that to do it a disservice. As I say, it's... It looks nice, it's very well shot and stuff, but in terms of the comedy, you're not going to be rolling around on the floor laughing, it's sort of perhaps the odd chuckle, it's that sort of comedy. 
And also on Netflix, something that I think is going to go down actually much better is Series 3 of Queer Eye. Everyone's been very excited for this to be back. Are you a fan, Jeffers? Yeah, I like this. I do enjoy Queer Eye. Like you say, it's out the same day. They're both out March 15th. And uh, it's a little bit different, this one. They go to Kansas City on a bit of a road trip. And the first uh, person that they're, they're looking at sort of change, if you like, or helping is Jodie, female contestant, if you like. Hero. Um, he- heroine. Fe- heroine, yes. Yeah. <laughs> contestant sounds wrong, doesn't it? <laughs> Jodie's been nominated by her second husband, Chris, and she is quite an incredible character. I don't want to ruin the show because I guess if you tell the full story, it's going to sort of take away from it. But they're very much into their hunting and... Uh, there's a lot to be done in terms of her wardrobe. If I tell you that she's got some camouflage lingerie, that sort of sets the scene in terms of what sort of couple they are, I guess. She's obsessed with camo, as they call it. I've never heard it referred to as camo before, but I like that. I'm going to start using that. Yeah, it's great to have them back. There is now a dog. The dog doesn't feature in it enough, but, you know, a dog is now there, which I'm very excited about. And they're just brilliant because it's all about self-esteem. It's not about you know, you're not wearing the trendiest stuff or I, I wouldn't pick that wall colour. It's about looking after people and helping them to, to care about themselves and feel better about themselves, which should really be the point. I do think the division of labour amongst the team <laughs> is something to look at, really, though, isn't say. it? So you've got Jonathan in this one. He's cutting some hair that I don't think has been cut for like 20, 30 years. He has he's got to pull out all the stops, spends a day sort of hacking away at this, <laughs> this girl's hair. And then you've got Anthony... Some episodes he makes some tacos or he makes a bit of guacamole, <laughs> doesn't he? Or squeezes a bit of lemon on something. This first episode, I think he basically goes to a restaurant and uh, has a nice meal with Jodie and sort of tells her... He has her, lobster with her. Yeah, he eats some lobster. Oh, no, sorry. And he does, he does serve a bit. He pushes a trolley along at one point. So, you know, and if they're all if they're all on equal pay, that's all I'm saying. People like Jonathan, Bobby, they're, they're you know, working hard. He's had to transform a whole house, Bobby. Yeah, most episodes, to me, it just seems like he's making guacamole. That's all I really see him do. He's the luckiest man alive. So some fun TV trivia for you. This Sunday, just gone, Midsummer Murders celebrated 20 years of mysterious deaths in picturesque villages. 20 years, two zero, two decades. It's an achievement that not many TV shows reach. So Jeffers, my big question to you this week is, which TV show do you think should have lasted 20 years? Perhaps slightly more deserving than, than the very quaint Midsummer Murders. Well, it's quite a difficult one. This I'm not sure many many series really warrant 20 years. I was thinking about recent shows that maybe there's been controversy over when they were axed. Pulling the Sharon Horgan comedy. It's a lot of kick up when that got pulled a few years back. But I mean, that was only two series long. The Hour drama that I really liked. Again, there was a bit of fuss about that being axed. It's only two series. Can't really put either of those up for 20 years. Um, Touch of Frost, 18 years. Suppose that would have been nice if it had carried on for a couple more years and, and got to the mark. But I think the only one I can really think of is Seinfeld, which was a programme that I really loved. There was 180 episodes of that, so I think they probably could have stretched that out a bit longer than the sort of 10, 11 years it lasted for. And off the back of that, you had Curb Your Enthusiasm, which was great as well. So I think it would have been great to see Seinfeld run for a bit longer. What about you? It's quite hard to actually think of them, isn't it? I think it's really difficult. Because I think of my favourite programmes like, I don't know, The Office, Parks and Rec, relationship dramas like Brothers and Sisters. The problem with anything that has children in it is they grow up anything that has families that is definitely they definitely have a sell-by day i just think even parks and rec which i loved you know it was tailing off towards the end people leave and that's annoying uh, yeah i just i think maybe 20 years is almost too long for most shows i'd say for, for a lot of shows about four or five series yeah is about it, isn't it we've, we've spoken about some other dramas i think broadchurch and other ones like that where 
I think if they'd have carried on even two, three, four more series, it would have been a real mistake. So, yeah, there's only a few that can really last 20 years. And I think they've almost got to be quite formulaic as well. And they seem to just, the audience seems to go with them. Yeah, things like chat shows. I mean, how long's Graham Norton been on? That must have been on the best part of 20 years, if not longer. Yeah, if you Stuff include like the that. channel, if you include his channel four time, yeah, he'd easily be 20 years. But dramas, he? comedies, that's, that's quite a tough ask. Mm. But well done, Midsummer Murders. So this week, me and Jeffers were lucky enough to catch up with Catherine Kelly. You'll remember her as Becky McDonald in Corrie. She was in Strike Back and Mr. Selfridge. She's done loads of stuff. And currently, you'll have seen Catherine in lots of trailers because she's starring in ITV's big new drama, Cheat. It's stripped across the week. It's going to be a big deal. And she spoke to us all about it backstage at the BFI for this big screening she was doing. So without further ado, here she is. Catherine, thank you so much for being here with us today. All very exciting that she is finally coming to the screens and in one big stripped across the week event. Yes. Are you excited for people to finally see it? Yeah, always. It does seem a long time ago, even though it was only last summer. But I think because it was such a beautiful summer and then we've had such a crashing depth of dismal winter, it does seem a lot longer than that since we shot it. So, yes, I'm delighted that it's on a Monday and I... and. Personally, I love watching stuff uh, in in box set format, which I suppose this is really as close as that's ever going to be. Well, to date, anyway, with ITV. Yes, it can be devoured in one fell swoop. So if anyone's been living in an attic and hasn't seen all the many trailers on ITV, can you just set it up a little bit, what the story of Cheat is? Yes, I play a character called Leah Dale, and she is a lecturer in sociology at a university, and I have a student called Rose who is played by the brilliant Molly Windsor and the premise we very quickly discover that Rose is a reasonably average student and she hands in a remarkable dissertation and I just know that she's cheated she's been my student for three years and this work is definitely not her own so I accuse her of plagiarism I think it's an open and shut case I think that she will admit to it and she doesn't she absolutely doesn't and uh, this all happens within the first 10 minutes really and yes fatal consequences and what what was it that first attracted you to the role from a, from a viewer's point of view or my point of view I really like the sort of tension and the the relationship between Leah and, and Rose it's four episodes and I read the first two scripts and that's all I had when I accepted the part and for me script is king I thought it was a brilliant page turner I was gripped from start to finish I thought it had all the hallmarks of a great thriller all those fantastic beats were there um, but not always where you expected them and also I thought um, there was a lot in the relationship drama side of things as well probably enough actually to sustain a show on its own Leah's married to a character called Adam who's played by an actor that I'm sure you all know and I was in Mr Selfridge with, Tom Goodman Hill. And they're trying for a baby. Um, he's also a fellow academic. Um, they're trying for a baby and she's not quite sure, I think, if she wants one or not. Depends what day it is. Uh, and and, uh, and it's you see her, you meet her mum and dad and her dad was a lecturer also at the same university. So she's in this academic bubble and I felt that that was an interesting world that I don't often see on TV. That, yeah, that privileged world, really. Uh, and, and I enjoyed that as a backdrop. That was really interesting to me. 
And how do you get those scenes with you and Molly, who plays Rose? Some of those scenes, there's great tension. I, I felt a bit sort of scared almost watching them, not sure what's going to happen. How do you kind of build that up? Do you, did you have a lot of time to rehearse beforehand or do you think you guys just naturally clicked? Uh, no rehearsal, which is the norm really in television. The way that, that it wasn't done on purpose, but the way the schedule fell, Molly and I didn't have our, our scenes together. Um, I think our first scene was the scene... Uh, when I confront her in my office and uh, accuse her of cheating. Um, but that wasn't until halfway through the, the schedule. So I don't know really if that helped or hindered. But I think we just connected. And I think Louise is a remarkable director, Louise Hooper. And she is only interested in things being authentic as possible. And Molly and I are the same. And I think we all just clicked really but there, there was a lot of pressure on those scenes especially because we didn't arrive to filming them quite as I say until quite late in the schedule so yes we did feel the pressure of it that we talk about each other all the time and then when we finally meet it needs to fizz doesn't it so yeah I'm glad I'm glad that came across they're massive payoff scenes so yeah I mean it's you're right you're waiting for those scenes yeah. the whole way through and there's loads of twists and turns when you were first reading the script did you feel you had a handle on it or were you constantly surprised as well? The way I work is I re- I just go back to the script constantly. I read it, reread it, read it, read it and just dig, dig deep into that. And you, so usually by the time I'm filming, I've got a grasp of uh, the continuity order because obviously that's completely changed when you're filming. The schedule is built around locations, not, not the order of the, the scenes. But with this one, I had to carry my lever arch file with me at all time. (laughs) And uh, and Molly did as well. And it's so unusual for me to have to do that because usually it's really, it's really solid in my mind. And, um, and I just had to keep going back to the script and because I think it's so nuanced and there's so many twists and turns that I just didn't want to miss a beat. I think that's what it all came down to. I just didn't want to miss anything because there's so many payoffs and delicious moments. We just worked really hard to find even more actually than that they're actually there in the script and Louise definitely added a lot and then Molly and Tom brought a lot to the table and there was some incredible actors. Um, Bern Gorman is one of my favourite actors. He he brings a lot to the character of Rose's sort of boyfriend slash minion. <laughs> <laughs> So it was everybody, everybody brought, understood what it was and really relished and enjoyed it. It seems to me that you have really good instincts because since Corrie, you've picked some really choice roles in different things, Strike Back, Miss uh, Selfridge, so many different things. Do, are you always just confident enough to wait for the right thing or is there ever t- a temptation to? Um, I've always had that in me, definitely. Even when I was absolutely skinned and I'd first left drama school, um, I did turn down a couple of jobs and go work in a pub instead I'm a perfectionist and I have to be 100% on board I want to give something my best yeah of course I do give it my best everything's worthy of my best endeavor whatever that is and if I feel some reservations about a project then I've I think it's better that I don't 
don't do it. But lots of different things sort of tickle my fancy, really. You know, I, I don't differentiate between high art and low art. And, and I think it's lazy thinking as well. So, yes, I will say yes to Strike Back if there's enough in it that is a challenge for me and exciting enough and different enough. And different things come at different times in your life because I've had t- two children in the last, you know, five years. So I definitely needed to lighten my load so that I could be a, a mum as well. So certain jobs kind of fit into that. So I must admit that did come into play sometimes. But apart from that, yeah, I, I am quite particular with projects, but I'm quite an enigma with projects as well. I never really know what's going to... My agent will often say, I just didn't think this would be for you. And and for some reason it really is. And and yeah, I, I enjoy that. And I, and I try not to think too much about what the next project is. I just see what's being made, what scripts come in. Because I think that's kind of a waste of time, really. Unless you're generating your own work, I think there's no point sort of fantasizing about what your next role is and and all that. I just wait and, and I take every script as I as I find them. On that basis, would you always try to choose a different role where there was definitely some variety in it or something different from everything you've taken before? Because it strikes me that there's great variety in this, in your CV as well. Yeah, I I think usually my personality trait is that I tend to like to do something different so I I won't even stick with an author with novels you know I don't sort of read back to back I don't discover a great author and then just charge through their back catalogue of work I do like to jump around but then with characters I just think I like people and human beings and I like to explore all different walks of life and I'm very fortunate in that I'm well supported in that with people in the industry so casting directors and directors and they're very happy to see me in many different guises that's that's because you you know you need people to offer you those parts for you to make those choices and sort of looking back would you say something like Corrie is quite good grounding for with all the different storylines you get in a soap is that a good sort of grounding or a good sort of base for to then go off and do lots of different roles things on the inside are never as they seem on the outside and I, I grew up watching Coronation Street so I, I can I can speak about both I think when I went into Coronation Street I went in for three months I went in for 12 episodes and then I left because that was just a really short job and they said we're gonna we're gonna bring you back and I thought yeah if I had a pound for every time somebody says they're gonna offer you a job you know let's see and then I left for six months and I came back and they gave me a six-month contract and then after that they gave me another six-month contract so I was there for five years altogether but it wasn't like I'd signed up for five years in fact if that had been the proposal I probably wouldn't have done that because I would have been frightened probably that I would get bored of playing one character for that amount of time. Or typecast I suppose is the other risk. Well I've never really worried about typecasting because I think I am a chameleon and enigma and already I'd been in the business, I'd left RADA in uh, five years before then so I'd already had a clue as to you know how things were going to work out for me and I'd already had a big varied career so it really didn't come into my uh, mindset at the time but what was really fortunate was that um, within the writing team and within the three producers that I worked under, they also saw that I was versatile. So actually, the way the characters started and the way the character finished were completely different. And to me, there was kind of seven characters in between that. And that's what kept me going. So I took everything on a sort of six-month yearly basis, really. Is it a good training? I think it's a gift for actors. And I think you get out what you put in definitely every scene they give you is almost like an audition really because the writers are constantly watching and the job is still ongoing so they think oh she can do that or he can do that and, and then they'll 
push the character that way a bit or that way a bit. So, yeah, I don't feel like it was a training because I'd already trained. But for me personally, it was a great place to experiment and to figure out what works on screen and what doesn't and what's what's too much and what's too little. And I absolutely loved it. Yeah, and I certainly wouldn't be the actress that I am today without those those five years and, and just one more on that do, do you think Kim Kim Marshall was thinking of she's obviously been there for about 10 years and she's going to try and explore different TV options now it sounds like from what you're saying she's she's well equipped probably to to take on a num- some roles oh for sure yeah yeah absolutely if you've got a, if there's something in you that that wants to leave then I think you should go off and play different roles I would imagine Coronation Street are sensible enough to always have a place for her if she wants to go back because I think she's uh, she's a triumph in that show you've sort of achieved the actor's miracle that you're one of the most popular characters in that so but you're just Catherine Kelly in cheat you're not ex Corey in the way that Sarah Lancashire is not ex Corey you know you've created this career for yourself beyond that which is must be intimidating when you leave a soap that you always think, oh, am I going to be associated with that? But I don't, I don't mind that. I don't think that's a bad, I don't see it as a bad thing. You know, your CV is always listed as an actor and your age. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I think you can't escape it really. And I'm definitely proud to have been a part of that show, especially at that time. You know, I was there during the 50th. And I feel like th- this point since I started this job this is the most exciting time for telly there's so much around and yeah such a variety and it's so exciting do yes. you feel that do you feel yeah it's a real renaissance television and uh, there is so much of it and I think it's brilliant I mean when I left drama school there was three channels really that were making tv shows and if you weren't in their program for that year then you probably weren't, you weren't going to be on tv that year so whatever big period drama um, or classic book the bbc were making everybody was up for it you know and it, it just depended how the chips fell as to whether you were in it or not and now um i've got friends who i haven't seen for ages and they're on some massive american tv show signed up for seven years filming in atlanta or something there's all these tv shows going on and so many people working you don't even you know we don't get a lot of that television actually big hbo shows and so i think there's even more than than we think and what i love about it is that as a viewer you vote with your remote i like that i think that's the way it should be and shows are commissioned uh, recommissioned if the audience like it and I think yes power to the viewer <laughs> and and what's being watched in your house what 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 do you like to sit and watch I've really enjoyed succession really enjoyed succession I think that's brilliant I watched four episodes on a plane and thought I don't like this show how can I care about these horrible people and then I couldn't stop thinking about it so I bought the rest of it um, I'm really enjoying Russian Doll which is a Netflix show I think that's so good and I can't get that tune out of my head I love a big premise, you know, and um, the actors that they've got in that, you know, really seasoned professionals. I love them. Flack, I'm a little bit biased, but my friend Oliver Lansley has written a fantastic TV show called Flack starring Anna Paquin and some, again, amazing actors in that. And I think that's a really exciting show. Well, I'm only, I'm just a little sprinkling in episode four. Um, (laughs) And yeah, I think it's really fun. And episode five, for me, will stay with me forever. I think that's a brilliant show. So there's lots, there's lots to choose from. And I tend to watch, I tend to watch a lot of first episodes of things, but it really takes something special and different for me to stick with it, actually, because there's just so much to choose from. So 
Why not? And are you, you going to find yourself voicing a character in Peppa Pig or whatever? <laughs> Often you find out when they have kids. I don't ever want to watch Peppa Pig again. <laughs> I know every episode I think of Peppa Pig. <laughs> oh, I can't stand that show anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> animation, yeah, animation's great. If that's the question, look at me. I've become completely obsessed with how much I... You've just made me realise how much I can't stand Peppa Pig anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, well, a joy of my morning is listening, actually, to Ian Paulston Davis on Ben and Holly, because obviously he was in Coronation Street at the same time as me, and I think he's a, a remarkable actor. And uh, all the cast, if you if your children were misbehaving and, or you needed them to do something, uh, you know, do their homework or give up the dummy or the bottle or something, we used to get Ian to leave to ring the kids in his uh, Ben and Holly voice and it, it worked a treat. What a trick. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Catherine, for being here with us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So that was Catherine Kelly speaking to me and Jeffers. We've obviously seen Cheat. Jeffers, were you a fan? Yeah, I mean, I, I've only seen the first two parts, actually, so I'm very keen to... After this podcast, I'll be watching the other two. I, I think it's really good. There's lots of intrigue, two leading female characters, which is great as well. I just think, it, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I think people are going to be talking about it. Exciting. I love it when they strip something across a week. Big telly event. So be sure to catch it. It starts Monday through to Thursday this week at nine o'clock on ITV. And of course, if you miss it, catch up on the ITV Hub. So Jeffers, we spoke about it a little bit last week. Russell Brand, John Richardson, John Lithgow and Hannah Cockcroft all took part in the first celeb bake-off for this year's Stand Up To Cancer. This is another reason why Comet Relief needs to up its game because Stand Up To Cancer does really good uh, celebrity specials. What did you think of Russell Brand's, shall we say, fruity bake at the end of last week's episode? Well, it was a very interesting creation, wasn't it? And he, he did end up winning uh, after producing this very interesting uh, scene, shall we say. Um, <laughs> I, I like that he took sort of centre stage as well, managed to put himself there as this sort of wise old man, as opposed to totally celebrating the birth, which is what I thought it was supposed to be about. But it was it was great. It's very different from the normal Bake Off. What I like about these celeb ones is they do make mistakes. They do mess things up. John Richardson was a bit, I felt was a bit like if I was on a quite pessimistic, quite down and sort of quite random in terms of what he made. He stole the whole show for me. I thought it was brilliant. I think he's great. And, and depending on if you look, we've, we've mentioned James Acaster before on here on, on his own show. He is on this week's episode. And I think in some ways he steals the show. It, it gives the impression that he's not probably been in the kitchen ever in terms of his baking skills this week. Um, and I just think it's, it's a good show and it does feel different enough from the real Bake Off in terms of the bacon they're not that good and they're also uh, succinct and you can just watch one episode and, and it's done you get a winner at the end so you can watch one or you can watch all of them it doesn't really matter so I, I really enjoy them I don't know they're what you think really well cast they get really good people on there I remember last series Lee Matt did it and he was very very funny like he didn't know what on earth he was doing but he just really kind of used it as a vehicle for comedy it was great and I think that's what it's all about you know we're so used to celebrity specials now and seeing the same if they just have made in Chelsea people on there who cares, you know? But if they get decent people trying to make something in the in the Bake Off tent, that becomes interesting. And I do think you get to see a bit of their personality. We sort of say that on shows like Strictly as well, I guess. Over time, the guard sort of comes down on something like Strictly. But with this, I think naturally, because they're concentrating on on the bake itself, you sort of see them uh, how they are. This this week, Michelle Keegan's on the show, and she seems quite precise and quite quite. Sort of, she's she's making a few jokes, but she's quite serious and quite. You can see she's quite driven and quite keen to succeed. And, and she's then, eating sugar. Yeah. I would not have thought that, that would happen. And then you've got James who's messing around, and sort of you get an idea of him. And then Ryland's on there as well, and and 
you can see he's a Bake Off super fan and he really wants to do well and, and he's sort of going for quite outlandish sort of creations. So it's great. You get a bit of the personality and, and you see them in a very different sort of situation. And I think we're also used to the new host now. I think Noel and Sandy, when the move over happened a few years back, I wouldn't have thought you'd be saying that. You'd still be moaning about missing people, you know, missing Mary or whatever. But but now it feels just feels normal, doesn't it? Well, speaking of Mary Berry, the queen of cookery shows, she's back. She's got a new show on BBC One, Mary Berry's Quick Cooking, it's called. We're sort of smiling at each other because there's not really very much quick cooking involved. It's just really a vehicle for Mary to go around Rome or wherever she wants to go. Tell us a bit about it, Jeffers. Well, yeah, she's trying to, I think, come up with recipes that she says can be done in sort of 15, 20 minutes. It very much feels like they've they've watched somebody at the BBC's watched all those Jamie Oliver sort of 15, 20 minute meals type programmes and thought oh yeah, we need to get Mary involved in that kind of cooking as well because most of her traditional recipes would obviously be, you know, hour long or whatever. So yeah, as you say, she goes off to Italy. She's never been to Rome before. So the first episode sees her in Rome and sees her trying out to make some sort of dishes from there in sort of 15, 20 minutes. I didn't ever think I'd see her making these sort of meals. It's perfectly fine. It, it looks nice. I just wasn't overly... Imp- it didn't make me want to cook a lot of the things that she's making. Yeah, I know what you mean. I th- I think... The concepts sort of got a bit confusing because some some of it was so quick. Like she made some bruschetta, which is basically cutting up some bread. And then some of it, I thought, oh, that's not really very quick. I, I don't know. I, I think it would have just been better to say, here's Mary Berry's new cooking show. Who cares what it's about? She's cooking because everyone loves her. That's great. And then the first episode, she's in Rome. But the second episode, she's in a music festival with Rick Astley making cheese muffins, both of which are fine. But then why is she in Rome? I, I think either make it Mary Berry travels the world or just make it, Mary Berry does cooking. I, I don't know. I just thought it was all a bit confused. So it doesn't. Ha- the series isn't going to hang together. It's- doesn't. And then she's off to Marrakesh one week, but another week she's at a fire station. I, yeah, I didn't really get that. That's not to say you shouldn't watch it because no, it's, you know the good. The good thing for the BBC is Mary Berry is one of those people that I think you know a lot of people are going to watch this regardless of what we say or regardless of of what she's cooking to a degree. I'm sure my mum's going to be watching this every week um, and probably trying some of the dishes. For me. Certainly in this first episode, I've only seen the first one. It was set in Italy and we had a pasta dish, um, as you say, the bruschetta and a couple of other dishes. They felt quite similar to things that I've already made or, or know how to make. And I don't consider myself any sort of decent cook. So I'd just be worried at how, how new and how interesting the recipes are going to be. And I don't know if people look to Mary for speed. I would look to Jamie for that, like you say. I think it's more a, a different generation who just want to serve up a really nice Sunday lunch and, you know, have a bit more time, perhaps. I, d- I don't know. I just, I wasn't really sold. We'll have to see. Yeah, it's almost like a crossover, isn't it? It feels like a, it sounds like a concept that for a Channel 4 show that's ended up being on BBC One and Mary sort of got tagged into it. But I mean, having said that, she seems very keen and happy enough doing these dishes. And she, in interviews, she has said she understands the way the world is, the way England is now that people do need to make dishes quicker so she seems to be embracing that and a final word on dancing on ice because we have mentioned it a bit throughout the series the professional dancer won dancing on ice james jordan i actually don't mind that because i i thought he was the best and i actually just quite like seeing decent dancing what did you make of it all yeah i think he was a worthy winner i mean james has had a really bad shoulder injury i think he's had it since strictly days really but it's been causing problems the last few weeks i know that on the actual day of the final, we couldn't take part in all of the rehearsals and he's been going through that pain barrier and he really wanted to win and uh, I think he's done really well. I think he's also, to be fair to him, turned things around a little bit. I think when he left Strictly, 
there were question marks about his personality. He seemed quite hot-headed. You remember those arguments with the judges, lots of rumours that he was he was troubled backstage. From everything I've heard on this series, he's been a model professional and, he, and he's, like I say, a worthy winner, so fair play to him. And Torval and Dean, they got onto the ice and they were absolutely brilliant. They still got it. I was so impressed. You know, so many times we're showing people on reality shows and it's like you have to pretend that they're brilliant. They were so excellent i think there's still a, a big chunk of the reason a lot of people tune in as well it, it's you know it's still doing about five six million which these days is a very decent audience and having them there gives it a lot more credibility i think because they you know they've seen it they've done it they've, they've got the medals it's time once again to add to the list of box sets to watch before you die Each week, one of our favourite faces from the telly tells us a must-see series. Last week, Ricky Gervais chose Murder One. And if you did miss it, make sure you check out our previous bonus podcast that featured an in-depth interview with the man himself about his new Netflix show, Afterlife. But back to box sets. This week, comedian and host of E4's The Hangover Games, Matt Richardson, shares his box set to watch before you die. My box set recommendation is a show on Amazon Prime called Unreal. Cash bonuses for nudity, cat fights, 911 calls. It's going to be good TV, just trust me. It ran for four seasons, they're all on there, and it's about the workings of a reality TV show. Assuming that you love reality TV and TV in general, which I do because you're listening to this incredible podcast, it's all about the crew of a show that's like the American Bachelor shows. And it's kind of following the drama of what happens in their lives and what they do to manipulate people into doing exactly what they want to do on the show. Action. We got to get him to propose to one of these ding-dongs. Ladies, I look forward to getting to know each and every one of you. We're selling true love here. True love, people! As someone that's worked in reality TV a lot, I can confirm a lot of the things they do are real. Obviously, um, without some of the grisly endings that happen in Unreal. But it's really fascinating. The two main characters are absolutely brilliant. Quinn, who is the executive producer of the show, is one of the best-played characters I've seen on TV, played by Constance Zimmer and was nominated for an Emmy for it. Get me some one-on-one interviews. Get me some romance. I'd like you to be my first. Oh, wow. I need a kiss on this date. I don't care who it's with. Do it in front of the other girls. I would recommend it to anyone that's into TV and that isn't into TV. There's only 10 episodes a season, so it's really quick to get through compared to a lot of American shows. And yeah, I I absolutely love it. I've watched it two or three times now, and I find it really interesting and refreshing each time I see it. That is why we cast her for the crazy. You're a genius. I'm never getting out of here. Why would you want to? You're home. Well, well, unreal. Had you seen that, Jeffers? I like the bit where she goes, get me some one-on-one interviews. Reminds me of you, definitely, in the office. Yeah, I mean, I've not seen this before, but I'm definitely going to be watching it now. I think um, the trailer looks very interesting and also the way Matt describes it, you know, he really sets the scene well and he's obviously a former Extra Factor host, so he knows exactly what goes on behind the scenes. I've been to a few of the sort of... um, live stages of some of these kind of shows your sort of big brothers your x-factors and i do uh, do even from the trailer recognize a lot of the terms and a lot of the phrases that are being bandied about you know the keenness for tears the keenness for sort of drama to happen and so it looks like it's going to be very realistic do you like it too does it sound good yeah i've seen a couple of episodes of this and then got distracted but i did enjoy it it's the kind of thing that's stranger than fiction type of thing that you wonder if people who don't work in the industry will think no this is all made up but it, I, I thought it was really quite a good concept for a show 
It sort of reminded me a little bit of in episodes where Matt LeBlanc's doing that reality show as well. That there was some good stuff in that which was quite quite felt quite realistic. And this again, although it looks very OTT, a lot of this kind of stuff really does happen behind the scenes on these reality TV shows. So I think I'm definitely gonna give it a watch. Brilliant. So that's Unreal. Thanks very much, Matt, for your box set to watch before you die. You can see Matt on the Hangover Games on E4 on Tuesdays at ten o'clock and also on all four, of course. And we'll be hearing from another famous face from the telly to tell us their box set to watch before you die next week. So we're nearly out of time with this week's episode, but as ever, we need to scan across our EPGs and hazard a little guess at what we'll talk about, not just next week, but also next month and next year. Jeffers, it's the moment you wait for the whole week. What should we be keeping an eye on next week? Well, I want to tip up a thing called Harry's Heroes, the full English. It's going to be on, so good. It's going to be on ITV uh, March the 18th and 19th, I think it is as well. It's a two-parter. And basically, it's sort of if you cross sort of football with uh, Celebrity Fit Club, I think that's the best way to describe <laughs> it. It's Harry Redknapp and he's got a team of sort of 90s footballers who are all in sort of worse wear in terms of their shape, uh, likes of Robbie Fowler, Chris Waddle. And basically, he's getting them all hopefully back to some sort of fitness. And then the idea is they're going to face a German football team at the end of the run. It's already been quite some stories come out of this. Neil Ruddock, a defender, he went uh, and was very out of weight. And he found out, you know, he could drop dead if he doesn't lower his cholesterol. So hopefully it's performing some sort of public service as well as uh, as well as some decent telly. Harry Redknapp saved my life. Love it. <laughs> Next month. Uh, well, we've got Britain's Got Talent confirmed for April. They announced it with an advert with Anton Deck as sort of composers over the weekend. So that's good news. And we've also got the Durrells. That's going to be coming back. Is Louisa going to find any romance? Are they ever going to have any money? That, that type of thing. Uh, maybe some new animals. Oh, let's hope so. And next year? Next year, this is fresh news as well. James May has just flown out to Japan and that is for a new Amazon series. It's called Our Man in Japan, a six-parter. And he's returning to Japan for the first time in 15 years to just take a look at the country, how extraordinary, complex and unique it is. So is he going to do that seriously or is it going to be like a Carl Pilkington type thing? Well, I think, it, I imagine it'll be semi-serious, but with James, I would have thought there'd be a bit of deadpan sort of humour as well. So probably a bit more serious than Carl, but it's, it's, I can't imagine it's going to be a straight documentary series either. Brilliant. Well, lots for us to keep an eye on there. That's all we have time for. This has been the Series Linked podcast. If you've enjoyed it, do us a favour. Please be sure to leave a five-star rating and a little review. Make sure you've subscribed as well so the next episode will be ready and waiting for you when it drops next Tuesday. Until then, bye-bye. See you next week. Hey, what's up? Just got my flu and COVID shots. You get yours yet? Nah, I don't have insurance. Dude, lots of places have the shots for free. Really? But are they even safe? Yeah, and vaccines help prevent serious illness. I'm not missing out on this season, especially with Nate's party coming up. Okay, okay, I'll get mine too. Shots hurt a little, but missing out hurts a lot. Get your flu and COVID vaccines. Brought to you by Iowa HHS.